Hello, everyone. Welcome to Relative Pitch, episode four, Wagnerism, Tristan Cord. My name is Anthony Morris, and I'm joined with Lauren Green and Michael Brown. Today, we'll be discussing chapter two of Alex Ross's Wagnerism. We are so excited of the warm reception we are getting so far from, for our podcast, and we would love for you to join in with us on all of our social media. So drop a comment, like, subscribe, all of the love. We would love to hear everything from you. Um, first up, Lauren, could you just sum up just a little bit of this? I know it was a very large chapter, um, but could you just sum up just a little bit for us? Yeah, this is a pretty hefty chapter. And so, yeah, I like the chapter is titled, it's uh, the Tristan Court. It's not just about that though, but there is there is some talks about what the Tristan Court is and we'll actually play that a little bit later, later and talk about it. Um, but really this chapter just discusses the tension surrounding Wagner's Paris life um, due to like the tense political climate between France and Germany during the 19th century. Um, there are constant rises and falls throughout this period of Wagner and his work. Um, and there were also tensions between the revolutionaries and those who wanted to bring back the Bourbon monarchy, if you have any idea of like history and everything that was happening during this time. So really it was like a modernist versus traditionist standpoint of a lot of art and things happening just in culture and politics in the world. Um, and also like at the near the end, there's a pretty in length or pretty in depth discussion about the surge of Wagner's work among French poets, writers, and painters when he was alive and also after his death. So yeah, that's kind of what the chapter encapsulates. So we're going to break that down a little bit more. Michael's going to give us a uh, brief summary of what the opera Tristan and Isolde is for anyone who has never heard of it. He's going to let us know what it's about. So if you have your trusty dusty book available we're going to be looking at page 66 at the top to prepare his listeners wagner wrote a program note in which he laid out the rudiments of the story tristan the nephew of king mark of cornwall is sailing from ireland with princess isolda who has been betrothed to mark as part of a political bargain isolda is enraged because this same Tristan killed her fiance in battle. That's devastation. During the voyage, she asked Bang Ring, her attendant, to prepare a death potion, which she and Tristan will drink together. Bang Ring, unwilling to part, I'm so sorry, to part with her mistress, serves a serves a love potion instead spicy the prelude gives a preview of the music that accompanies the drinking of the pither but it stands as an independent orchestral statement in which we hear and just for everybody to know i'm not the best reader i understand but i can read trumpet so that's all that matters yeah hey, I really felt like I was in church and you were the preacher. We were supposed to be reading our Bible. Hey, let's pull out your Bibles. Pull, out your Bibles. pull it out. Go to Revelation uh, chapter 12, verse 19. That's really how I felt while you were reading that. And just like a preacher. It is a Sunday. It, it is, is a Sunday. Sunday. It is a Sunday. So um, thank you, Michael. Thank you. Um, I did want to comment on one thing um, about what you just read was program notes. So really before this period so wagnerism for those who are not musicians um comes from the musical era of the romantic period so this is the period where um concerts really started to i don't know kind of have a, a take on especially big operas um and so program notes program notes are basically where the composer or the conductor would basically sum up the song or uh, piece, whatever, into a program that you get. Um, and Wagner, as we talked about in previous episodes with the uh, Beirut Festival of turning down the lights, he was also one of the first ones to actually have a story um, for it and put it in the program so that, you know, listeners wouldn't know what's going on. Because I'm pretty sure if you were to go to an opera right now, you would not know what in the world they're saying, what's going on, because it's in a language that you have no idea. Luckily, there's program notes to tell you 
exactly what's going, act by act, scene by scene to let you know what's going on. So this was kind of a big innovation um, for this period uh, to get that that way. And I'm, I was very, very, very uh, excited to see that this is going on right now. Yeah, and so Tristan means older. It's very complicated, right? Are you from the jump? It's like, oh, this is supposed to be a death potion, but now it's like a love potion. And so um, there's actually within it, they kind of they kind of talk about this a, a good amount within it, like the whole love death. I think it's like Liebstold is the word that they use within it to describe love death. Or some people think it should be death love because that's what it was, but really it's the their love that caused their death at the end even though it wasn't natural it was a potion it's like i mean it's like unnatural romeo and juliet like they're not very cliche very cliche of like oh i now that he's dead i automatically just die like no that doesn't happen we know that doesn't actually happen but it's vogue it's dramatic it's you know, all this fun stuff. So I, I kind of saw that Romeo and Juliet aspect because, you know, Romeo and Juliet is thinks she thinks he's dead and she dies and he wakes back up, he dies. But really, they just both die. Um, and so <laughs> it's a very dramatic, super overly expressionate work, um, truly. And so um, there's a chord within it. So breaking down, let's just get back to the root of what this what this chapter is about. Um, there's a Tristan chord. It literally is called a Tristan chord, which it actually is just, what is it? Is it a, a raised seventh? Or the, the I think just a dominant seventh. Dominant seventh. With, um, with the seventh in the, in the root, to be clear. Yeah. And I so, think. Anthony, you want to show us like what that looks and sounds like? Yes, yes, I will. Um, give me one second and... Oh, also, it, it's a, he describes it as an ambiguous half-diminished seventh chord for anyone who wants to know. So here is the um, opening uh, for Tristan, and you'll see on the screen where the Tristan chord actually happens. So right there, it, you see it marked in the yellow. It, I think me and Lauren, we, we were saying like, it's like, you have to put your shoulder in it, you know? Like, you kind of got to put it in there. It's like, ooh, that was something spicy a little bit, um, which uh, was very, very crazy. Um, I want to play it one more time. So this time I want you to now put your shoulder into it. Like actually, while you're listening, go ahead and give a little nudge when it gets there. So I'm going to play it one more time for everybody. And then it, uh, at the end, it kind of has like this resolution um, at the end, which really kind of sums up the whole Tristan. Yeah, this is a very, so it's funny because there's some, um, some people who are like, this is absolutely one of the craziest chords, like, you know, just amazing. But then someone in the book actually is just like, this is really just a half diminished seven chord. And they said, it's really not extraordinary, but it's the environment that it was created around that is. So that that scene, like or that um that moment is just like like Anthony said, the shoulder, it just is like a ah, like it's almost like an ethereal sigh to it. That it, like it's what around is around it that makes it so special um in contrast to it's like very dreamlike and almost like you're like in a in a daze. And so actually this chord too, if anyone knows the piece of Prelude to Daphne and Fawn, WC, um, there's a huge flute solo, hey, shout out Flutus, um, that happens at the beginning of that. And then what comes immediately after that first solo? Tristan chord. And it's the same exact effect that it has in this, um, in this scene here, where it's just so like, 
Tristan Korn. It's just like, oh, the goosebumps and the horn. Oh, so good. So, yeah, it's like he knew exactly, Wagner knew exactly where to place that chord where it would actually mean something, right? Because sometimes a chord is just a chord. It's like, oh, that's just fine. But then when it, you actually place it where it's supposed, like where it has the most like um, meaning and substance and content, yeah, that's why this is kind of like a freak out moment for a lot of people in history. One thing I love about Wagner is the way he orchestrates a lot of things and the uh, music that he makes. In the book, uh, it says, with such minute variation, uh, Wagner captures the texture of unconsciousness and like dream dreaming states. Um, in every one of his pieces, and if you go and look up how long Tristan uh, is the opera, it's like three, four hours long. If you were to go uh, listen to the entire ring cycle, you're going to be listening for almost a full day. Like, there's a lot of things, but the what I love is that every minute is different. Every minute is, there's so much variation that he does. Um, and I, I, I've always loved that about him. I remember I said my favorite song is Elsa's. Um, the way it starts is very, it's very minute. There are changes. And that's what makes it more interesting. As it just gets, uh, as it keeps going, it just gets louder and louder. It starts to progress. It actually really becomes more grand-like. And he uses um, minute variations like changing the key, putting the main theme into a different instrument. Just those little things that you don't necessarily think about really kind of change how you are as a listener. Like it, how I'm listening to it, I'm like, wait, something's different, but it's the same. Now you're freaking with my mind. So Wagner really, he could be a witch doctor. He's playing with your mind right now. He really is playing with your mind. And I think that's what makes him very special when it comes to music is because people, I don't know if composers really tapped into that before him. And that's why he sticks out so much in history is because he's like, look, I'm writing six hour long stuff. People still need to be, engaged into every minute of it and he really really championed that and of course there's people after him who is taking on that same things like lauren said with wc using that same chord to get the same effect so people are using his tactics now um further on down the line yeah i mean who else would put that chord not even three measures into a piece like, you have no idea what's going on, and you get hit with that. Like, bam. And you, everybody's like, wait, that, what, well, huh? And I think with, because where he placed it was what made it so, like, oh, my God. Like, it says in the book, more words have been spilled about the first three bars of Tristan, a rising minor sixth in the cellos, a semitone descent, a pungent chord of cellos and winds, than about any other short passages in music with the possible exception of the opening notes of Beethoven's fifth, like the beginning, he was like, boom, here you go. Take it. And I don't care how you feel about it, but you're going to hear my chord and you're going to remember my chord. Yeah. And so going back to like what Anthony was um, saying about, I think, and we also talked about what our last uh, Bogner's episode with Brian Gold, um, this idea of the light motifs, like light motifs, and like I, I really believe I learned, I figured out why Wagner didn't like that term in this, and it's because I forgot who it was in the book that talked about how there it, it's endless melody. Like Wagner is just endless melody, and what connects this in, endless melody are the light motifs. And so I think for him, it was like, why are you chunking up my my seamless work whenever it all kind of comes together in this kind of big glorious production but for us as listeners obviously there are going to be things that stick out more to us than others um but that was a that was a term in here that i really like endless melody because uh, some sometimes have you ever listened to like a song or a piece and some things sound like filler like some like there was oh let me just put a little bit because they have like the segments but they don't have the transitions. 
it's like, no, he's like, no, none of this is a transition. This is all like in itself, one super long melody. Um, so yeah, with, with all of this and Tristan is older, like I said, there is, we kind of found a new age of like decadence and what a better place to be in than France where it's all about wine and cheese and pastries and wee wee baguettes. Um, and so now like, this is really showing a lot of what the tradition, sorry, the modernists are really wanting. This like, just, um, just like an overindulgent indulgence of art and culture. And a lot of people felt as if Tristan and Isolde gave that Wagner's music in general was just an over romanticism of like life in general. Um, talking about that decadence and really kind of being over and extra, um, literally the last 40 minutes of the thing is a 40 minute duet of Tristan um, and Isolde having a duet about dying. Singing for 40 minutes. 40 minutes. 40, 40 minutes. minutes. About dying. Jesus, like, why? Why you're about to die? You're about to spend 40 minutes dying? And not like dying like, oh, I've fallen ill, or I have this disease or whatever. No, you're dying of a heartbreak. 40 minutes to die of a heartbreak. But you know what? This isn't um, a Wagner thing. I think Wagner really kind of multiplied it to be 40 minutes long. But since opera has even been a thing, it has been extra. Um, I was teaching my music appreciation class um, about Dido and Aeneas from the Baroque period, um, where literally Dido, her last lament is about seven minutes long and is about her lamenting. She's about to die um, and of a heartbreak. See the parallels here? Heartbreak, dying, seven minutes. Heartbreak dying duet now, 40 minutes long. So it's a, the opera genre has always, I, I love to say opera is what soap, soap operas are to us. How they're just like, how can so-and-so be dead for 26 years in a coma, or it's supposed to be in a coma, and then 26 years later, he, he's now out of a coma. How and what world does that make sense? Who knows, but in the world of soap opera, it works. So in the world of opera, saying I'm about to die because you broke my heart for 40 minutes, that's normal. So if you're ever looking at that, be aware of that. That's what they're doing, okay? Be aware, but it's extra, but it's decadent. When you, when you were saying that, Anthony, you know what it just related back to me? What? How overly dramatic high school is. High school? Like how overly, you know, everything is overdramatic. Like, Oh my God, he did not text me back today. Like, can you believe the audacity of him not texting me back? Me? Like, that is like, when you were just explaining how like long everything takes, I'm like, y'all, this give me flashbacks to but, high school. You know, you know that the people during the 1800s were basically high schoolers. Like, did they live past age of 30? <laughs> Except for Wagner, he was a genius. He was a high schooler. He was <laughs> a high schooler that was um, put on a pedestal. So instead of, you know, doing something actually maturing, he wanted to turn to his operas and be childlike. That's my opinion, and I stick to it. But I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I mean, look at his operas. They are so melodramatic. Like, it's like a high school girl going through her first breakup. Like, why are you doing this? Why, my my good sis, why? Hashtag original High School Musical. <laughs> we love it. We love it. We did not love to see it. Um, so, but yeah, so the, the review, the reviews of this was very mixed. You had, you know, the modernists, like I said, who were just all for the decadence and over romanticism, the dramatics, were just like, this is amazing. Like, we have to worship this. And then you have people like Berlioz, who literally said, it's a sort of chromatic moaning. And I was like, now, and you know, that could go a few ways. So, and so th this overindulgence has a little bit of a sensual background too. And Alex Ross makes it very clear in here that a lot of people find 
there are a lot of parts in this where it's like size and just like yeah like a moaning things like this where it's this overindulgence like oh it's like you have the best piece of death by chocolate what are you gonna do uh oh that was amazing like it's just like that that just blow your mind like wow factor and so his current his his review can be taken a few ways but basically there was a very split difference of opinion between like of when this came out or when this was finally premiered um and like i said it was a thing that was kind of happening between the modernists and the traditionists and basically during this time wagner is really french <laughs> he kind of becomes french and he develops a cult and that's something that I know uh, Michael wants to talk about, kind of the, the formation of this new, newly, found, newly found followers of Wagner and his artistry has come now during this time. Yeah, I mean, I believe it was the last chapter we also talked about it, or the intro, I think we talked about how he has this huge followings just from random places. And this whole pre-concert, his concert he gave in 1860 of all these works, it was a prelude to Tristan. It was selections from the Flying Dutchman, Tannhauser, and Lohengrin. This kind of like, in some people's eyes, reignited a love and passion for art and creativity in France. So after this happened, everybody's just giving Wagner all the credit. It's like when you go to a master class and someone fixes this little tiny thing and you just give them all the credit, like, oh my God, thank you. So like, that's kind of what's happening right now. And it, a cult developed around that and just following Wagner and just being like, Wagner is it. Like that, Wagner is it. And what's funny about it though, the, um, this pre-concert happened in 1860. The full production of Tristan and Isolde did not occur until 1904. So that makes me question, if it was really it, why did they wait all that time to have a full production of Tristan? And you know, I think in here as well, it shows that Lohengrin, which was written in 1848, didn't get a full stage until 1887. So I, th I don't really necessarily think this was about the merit of the opera itself but the tensions, political tensions that were happening between, uh, with the, after the Franco-Prussian War and all the politics that were happening, Napoleon, the, it was it the third, who came, or the, yeah, who came into power at the point. So it was a very, the, the country was pretty split, um, very politically split at the time. So I feel like they couldn't get through some of the, the, the full stagings. Like there would be too, too much, and I know you, you're gonna talk about that, as well, like why, why maybe not they could have been staged. I don't know. Like I was like thinking about it because like um, Tannhauser was performed the next year, but like Tristan was weighted so much, and because Tristan and Tannhauser a little bit different, Tristan you're waiting a long, 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 long time. It's like you're in the you're like somewhere waiting a long time for something. I don't know. I was going to come up with something and nothing came to my mind. <laughs> I was like, I was the DMV, the DMV. What do you say? The DMV. The DMV. Oh, the DMV. Well, I've never had a long time at the DMV. I'm just lucky. I look good. Voting. Go vote. Oh, go vote. <laughs> vote. Turn in your absentee ballots. Go vote. Go. We have to put think... our hashtag vote in every mm -hmm. episode. Okay. Hashtag. But I mean, I'm going to, what, what's next on our little docket? Oh, yeah. Well, do we want to, yeah, let's talk about the writing and the things that kind of, uh, that kind of happened during, again, why I say, so why some of these cool productions may not have happened during this time. Honestly, I feel like these people are just writing at every single thing. I mean, literally, when we talk about anything in music history, if it is out of the ordinary, they're writing. Think about uh, Stravinsky's Rite of Spring. What in the world was so wrong with that? They just want to throw tomatoes. Um, what is wrong with Townhouse? Like, 
I feel like people want to just complain about something that is out of the ordinary, especially with a more conservative background and everything like if you do you. But I think they had a preconceived notion of what the music was going to be. And it wasn't like what they thought it was going to be. So guess what? I'm going to go to whoever this guy to my left, I'm going to just knock him right in his eyeball. That's it. Period. That's it. And I'm like, because I don't know, I've been studying music history a lot. And every single composer that we talk about, some writing happens. Um, and in French, you know, they probably just maybe swung and did like a love tap or something. It wasn't like hard Germanic type of thing. But um, I don't know. The whole writing after, because the Townhauser scandal um, dealing with Napoleon, because um, Napoleon originally wanted to have Townhauser performed in France. Um, and we're talking about Napoleon three, not Napoleon Bonaparte. Okay, Napoleon number three, because um, he was just crowned king uh, of France. And basically what happened um, uh, in, the, in the production, they had jockeys to be performers, but the jockeys were a part of um, a more uh, conservative uh, group. And they, had all, they didn't really care for Napoleon. Um, they had already wanted to really kind of destroyed the whole scene, destroyed the whole production um, in which they end up doing it. And honestly, Wagner was very upset. He was like, I'm never doing this again. I don't want to come to France. I don't really like y'all. Y'all is not messing with me. I'm not messing with you. Next subject. Um, and that invokes a riot. Um, but what I got was a little bit before that, um, Wagner really did uh, start, he hosted salons. So salons are basically what we would call dinner parties, basically, nowadays, um, where you would invite, um, let me make sure I have everything correct. He basically in, invited a lot of people from the upper court. So um, it says he began hosting a salon on Wednesdays, which is a weird day, inviting not only Republicans, but also legitimists and members of the imperial circle. So this was something of him trying to, you know, rub shoulders with the right people um, to get them to really kind of buy into his new production. Um, and I look at this like right now with the presidential election of how so many people are um, going to different dinner parties and different campaigns and everything and really just trying to get everyone to buy into what they're selling. Um, and so did Wagner's work or did it not work? What do y'all think? Um, did he do enough rubbing shoulders with the people of France? Because, I mean, they didn't like him at the beginning. They kind of liked him in the middle. He did eventually have a cult. So what do y'all think? I think it's hard to, because like, like I said, the, the country just was so split, like just like right now. And, you know, it's, it was, seems like it was a time where you were just right or you were just wrong, you know? And there were always going to be people who oppose the change of music. If I mean, we think about it, because I remember reading a segment, one of Bach's sons at the end of his life was really embarrassed to be seen with him because he kept writing in the Baroque style, whereas he were, had just, you know, moved on towards the classical period. And so there's always going to be some, some rub tension whenever you are going through different time periods. And, you know, it wasn't just like it turned 1650 and people were like, oh, box dead, Baroque is done. I mean, kind of, maybe it was, because that makes sense. Um, but it was a gradual, it's a gradual thing where there are some people who oppose it, some people who are like, oh, we're all for this. Like, we got to move forward. And so the same thing was kind of happening here where this new style to some people like, what are you doing? Because like, it was not only, we're, they were not only going through a cultural and art shift, they were, they were going through a full like political change. Things were happening. Things were like just completely changing. So um, he may have done all he could. Maybe he did do enough, we would never know. But, but we knew that it wasn't gonna be easy for him regardless of whatever the outcome was gonna be. That's kind of how I feel about it. I think I think Wagner paid his paid a price. You know, you always gotta pay a price of admission. 
That's the saying goes, got to pay your dues. Hashtag long tone tax for brass players. I mean, I think he paid his price and he was eventually there because he started getting programmed for concerts. I mean, eventually he had the full um, Tristan, um, full production in 1904, but he had to pay some sort of price and had to rub some shoulders, shake, shake some baby, kiss some hands. <laughs> Maybe just a tad. I think you got that. Okay. You know, I was, I, I realized I made a mistake, but I was like, let me go ahead and finish this out. I can't, I can't decommit. At least you committed to that. I committed. I committed to the end. Like Wagner committed to the end because he was going to have his music played. But the thing is, uh, you you said until 1904. That was like for what? 20 something? 40 something years? Yeah. After his pre-concert? Well, no. Like after he's dead. Like homie's dead Mm -hmm. until his full (laughs) deceased. Um, until his full production. Um, so, I mean, I guess get your, your post-decesal kudos, I guess. I mean, I mean, box resurgence, Brooks resurgence. So sometimes you got to die for it to become really famous. I mean, oh my gosh. Music do. That is literally, so there, there's a quote in here. Because uh, uh, he mentioned how once Wagner actually passed, that's when a, a lot of his music started. There was a resurgence of his music. And there is literally a Tchaikovsky quote saying, it is necessary to die in order to attract your attention. And I was like, that's shady. I mean, but we've <laughs> seen it in history. I mean, think about, uh, so Alex Ross previous, or his, I think, first book, the rest is noise where we talk about Mahler and Strauss and uh, Lauren, I think it was Strauss who didn't receive a lot of um, uh, recognition until he was dead. Um, and then people started to really like, Ooh, same thing with Bach. He really didn't have a lot of followers. Then Bach was poor. Bach was very poor. poor. He had too many kids. His he son, could not, it was hard. <laughs> CPE Bach, which is one of his kids, was more famous during the time than his father, who we to this day claim to be like a master. Um, but he didn't gain that that notoriety until years, hundreds of years after he was dead. Um, so I mean, still, I, I guess kudos to Wagner because his music did really, really become a hold then. Um, but he was still popular during his time as well, though. I mean, we can we can relate this to, like, recent years. I mean, yes, Michael Jackson and Prince were both famous while they were living, but the minute they died, the amount, like, when I remember when Michael Jackson died, I never listened to his music before. I mean, besides, beat it, beat, like, I listened to that. But when he died, I, like, bought, like, five albums, and I was, like, crying. And I'm like, I didn't know this man. I didn't even listen to his, like, um um music before he died but the minute he died i became a complete and total fan same thing with prince like absolutely same thing and i was like this is like literally the same as like past like you can people can bring history repeats itself it's always going to repeat itself because that's how history is and we see this with so many different things especially this and for the wind band world uh um, a couple years ago, uh, David Maslanka, what he just passed, and a lot of people started to do a lot of his works. I mean, KSU Chamber Singers, um, we did uh, his Litany for Courage of Singers, a lot of bands did uh, uh, Symphony Number no. 4 and a lot of his symphonies, um, and some of his other works that people don't know as well. Um, so that that's what happens is usually death. And, and uh, my grandma, I was literally, cause today what we're filming is my birthday. Um, she was telling me, uh, she was like, you know, I have friends that call and I just bury you all the time. And she's probably like, they're probably thinking like, oh, why is she always talking about him? And she said to me, you want, you should give props to the people while they're on this side of the earth and to on the other side of the earth. Okay, okay, okay. I have, the, the, you said exactly what I was just about to like, give y'all like, just give me your opinions on this. 
So we are, we are having this talk right now about how it seems as if people have to die for, their, for them to be significant, right? Every now and then you'll get a telemon who marries a princess and they have money. And then, yeah, that just happens because you have the money, you can do all these concerts, people know you, you're famous, right? Um, is that maybe the reason as to why music, specifically the classical music field, we're always playing things by dead composers? Because if you think about it, it's like, oh, okay, so now these sets of people just died. Let's play all their music. Okay, now these sets of people just died. Let's play their music. That is why we are in this constant cycle of just playing the same music that has already been done is because we're always stuck in the past. And this is a debate. I mean, we'll, and we, we're, I'm sure we're going to have an episode later on to talk more about this. But this is kind of confirming that. Yes. That it's really the reason as to why people get popular after death mm -hmm. um, is because you don't pay attention to them when they're alive mm -hmm. or maybe you don't get enough attention. They don't get their, um, the, um, like the actual magnitude of their art isn't present until they are on the other side. Yeah. I mean, I think you hit it on the nail. We are in a constant struggle right now of, New music, no new music. Oh, this person is dead. This is why. It, I, it feels like we're always trying to play catch up. And mm -hmm. it's like, all right, we're this far, this person, so we need to do this instead of focusing on the people who were composing right now as we speak. You're, we are not giving them their, their roses, their flowers right now. But I, I, I hate to say it. I'm pretty sure once they have left on and processed on to the to the next level, then their music is gonna be like, oh my gosh, their music is so good. My question is, why didn't you think so when they were here? Whether one, instead of guessing about their music, they can actually give you like, I meant this when I, when I wrote this. Instead of now having this whole conspiracy theory, oh maybe this was supposed to be like this. Ask me now. I'd rather ask a person right now in your face, what do you mean about this part of your music? Let me know so I can better do your music. And I know I'm one of the worst about this with solo repertoire and chamber repertoire. I mean, we talked about this last week. And like I made a mission for myself in my master's recital. I'm only going to perform works written in the past 20, 30 years. Like, hopefully a, a live composers hopefully but i mean what i also noticed with this we were talking about it is when bands especially in orchestras we get in this cycle every once in a while like of course we're like when people recently pass we play their music but also we have this cycle of these war horses like everybody does this war horse in one year or the next one person will do it and then the next year everybody's going to do it i think it, everything's happening in cycles history repeats itself we need to break it Yes, we can still perform the war horses, but put them on like a 10-year cycle or a five-year cycle. You know what I mean? New music is what we're doing. And I mean, you, Wagner was new music and France started doing stuff right after that. You know what I mean? So, I mean, tangent, but it's relevant. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we kind of see this. And of course, you know, in, in Wagner's case, his music because of who he was, was political. It was political. So maybe it took time for it to be okay for his work to be like, you know, uh, done, like produced or uh, done produ having productions up. And so, but at the same time, think about it now, think about modern artists who have done a oopsie. Is their music still out there? Is there, uh, um, are there shows and films yes, still out is. there? Yes, it is. So yes, <laughs> have, we, is. <laughs> have, have we just become like to the point where kind of like, well, we're just, it's, they're going to be crappy people in the world, but should we lose our Netflix show because of it? Should I lose my, oops. Did I say it? I said it. Did, does, should I lose the favorite production of my favorite opera because of it? Should I lose my favorite recordings for my favorite symphonies because of it? And some people are going to be like, no, absolutely not. 
Um, and, and other people are going to be like, bye. Yeah, exactly. And he's like, scoop, skirt. Um, I just, I, I like, from the beginning, I don't have much tolerance. And this is where I become a contradiction with Wagner. Um, and I would claim I contradict hypocrite. I'll claim that because there's a person uh, who has a show. Um, he it's his name, but a little version of it, a little you know, little boy. Uh, and he has some very great shows. Had a little family, uh, doctor, oh. lawyer. Michael, you got it right then and there. Uh huh. He's currently sitting in prison right now for a lot of things that he's done. <coughs> Uh, I personally have not watched his shows in a, in a verb because the thing is knowing all of that stuff and then I don't I think my thing with nowadays is that we have seen these people who have these uh, these instances with that person um, same thing with another uh, this time a singer who um, was very popular in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, stepping in something. Uh, <clears throat> uh, music, I, before I used to listen to it, but now, especially with the Me Too movement and everything, I, I just, I cannot bring myself to listen to that music. Um, and with Wagner, we hear all these things and, and we, we know these things. And that is my question. Will I walk away from Wagner? Maybe. Honestly, honestly, here's the real tea. If Michael keeps making me mad about these things, yes, I will walk away from Wagner. Because it's always a debate between me and Michael, okay? Because he does he does not believe in canceling a person based off of like their stuff. I'm sorry, when I cancel you, you're gone. So Michael's gonna Michael's gonna make me mad, and then I'm like, F, 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 Wagner, I'm not coming back. Bye-bye. Elsa's, you can come off of my off of my wall. I don't want to see you because Michael made me that mad. It's his followers. That's the team. Well, so, I don't know how it is on y'all's screen that you're going to be watching, but it's very awesome how Anthony's on one side, I'm on the other side, and Lauren's in the middle because that's literally how it is. Like, in everything we're going to talk about in this book, I'm, I'm Switzerland. Not she is switched off. I'm not going to change. But here's the thing. I will change. And this is what we have a chance to change now. History is repeating itself multiple times in the past 20 years with popular culture artists that everybody knows. So here's our chance to change history of how we're going to, you know, I mean, are these people still going to be looked up to in 20 years? Like I will say the 90s some of the best music that's popular music that's ever been written. Like 90s, if I could like listen to that music all the time, I would. But that person, I actually cut him out. It's weird. I haven't cut Wagner, but I cut that person out. You know what I mean? And the Netflix show. Uh, talking about the one that had the family show with the doctor and, you know, that, that show, we're talking about that person? That person and the artist. Oh, like we're talking the about artist. the artist who, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I cut both of them out. But there is one person I haven't cut out that I need to, but the show is so good. And if you if you know what kind of shows I like, you kind of get to reference it. I don't think I know. But we have a chance to change. <laughs> I, we I have know. a chance to change. Oh, Lauren well, knows what it is. But my mom likes that show, too. Exactly. Okay, we you know what? Old shows. You still have to cut out a famous conductor. Uh, I would never cut him. His interpretations are literally second best to none. Like, the way he interprets music, the way his mind works musically was so genius that the other half of his brain should have been cut out. But when you are... When you are... <laughs> you are... <laughs> When you are using your power to harm somebody else because people like you have put you up on a pedestal and now that it's went to your head to take advantage of a person, that right there is what makes somebody want to leave. Florida, you proud of me how I kept that real, I kept it real. 
I did. I was like, okay, let me pray real quick. Just hope that this is right in the middle. In the middle. I had to think about it. I did have to think about it and pray myself. But I kept it in the middle. And that's going to be the reoccurring, especially with this book. I mean, it says on the cover, politics. Whenever you have a politics, you know, it's going to be crazy. And that's where, like, it's hard for me to separate music, art, any art form. Um, like, it's, it's easy for me, sorry, to separate art form from the person. Because in that art form, what they were doing in that moment was not what they do in their own business on the side, in my mind. Well, and in some people, it's different. Some people, they're, all their life is in that art. So it's like, and that's where it's like, I mean, that same debate with music for music's sake or programmatic music. It, everything goes back to these similar debates that happens, but we're having a chance right now with popular artists in cancel culture where we are canceling a lot of these people and we are making rights where we used to make the wrongs. Yes. And, and I really, my, my biggest thing is hold these people accountable. Do not put these people on a pedestal and then let them get away with murder. This is not how to get away with murder with Annalise Keating. So th that is my thing. And that I think that's what makes me mad with all of this is that we have put people on certain pedestals and we're like, no one can ever touch you. You are just so good at what you do. So we're not going to even turn. And say, with the conductor, with the artist, with the actor, they were part of bigger, like bigger label, bigger network, bigger orchestra who turned their backs to this because they knew what was going on. And that's where it gets really very messy and it gets very angry. And it goes back to Wagner of these people knew. They knew what was going on. Instead, they turned their backs of like, well, as long as you make four hours worth of great music with good melodies and a good old shoulder nod, we're going to just keep you going and keep you doing things. So I don't know, it, it, it's really messy and it's very convoluted and it, it, and it will always be. That'll be like a big debate until the end of time. Cause I don't think we'll, as human beings will ever um, cut it and know. And I mean, this is a great segue into uh, Baudelaire, I pronounce it, whatever, I'm not French. Um, he put Wagner on this pedestal, even though they were completely different people. And I will let you read it for your own sake, because some of this stuff I really don't feel like saying in front of, hopefully we have younger audiences and I really don't feel like saying this in front of them, but it's on page 79. Um, if you want to read it, it's at the top. Um, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a PG it, okay? I'm a PG. Okay, you PG it and you will take it over. Um, okay, so basically Baudelaire, um, he was a French person and he was very known for his dark, he was a poet um, and he was known for his dark ways, okay? Um, so very different from Wagner. Uh, he worshipped Satan. He was a Satanist. Um, he did a lot of things on that side, on that side, okay? So, um, in this little sentence right here, it says, Baudelaire early and frequent encounters with people of the night uh, probably gave him some type of a disease that, that was linked to his early death. For my older thinkers, you know what the ladies of the night are. Um, you know what disease I'm talking about. Um, so he was definitely a world, worldly man, to say that. He was definitely a worldly man. And what was very um, uh, 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 interesting to see is that he idolized Wagner to the point of some would say he loved Wagner. Um, literally at the bottom of 79, it says, indeed, he metaphorically placed himself in a passive um, sexual role. He wrote a whole letter to Wagner and where he, honestly, he kind of confesses love for Wagner. Um, and to my, to my finding, 
Wagner was delighted by this. So that tells me a lot of things. That one, Wagner was he knew he he knew he was the head one. He knew for a fact. He's like, excuse me, dust off of my shoulder. I know who I am. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that you were flattered by me. Um, but here is a uh, a soul, Baudelaire, that is like professing his love um, for his music, um, for everything he lit. Uh, Baudelaire said that Wagner music is true music that evokes um, analogs, ideas, and different brains. So saying like Wagner's music in every section of your brain, though, some people say right brain, left brain, this part of your brain does this. He's saying that his music fits in every single section of your brain and will evoke something. No matter what it is, it will evoke something. Um, and he that is how just entranced he was of Wagner, which is very interesting. Yeah, and I mean, there was kind of a whole, like, a club, basically, or a cult, if you want to call it that, that um, really praised Wagner to, like, be, like, to the just kind of crazy point, honestly. Um, and there was a quote in there that said, uh, the very man describing Wagner, the very man of whom we have dreamed, he is a genius such as appears upon the earth once every thousand years. Okay. It's a pretty huge statement to say that you are almost a messiah of, of the world, of civilization. And so these are people, you know, like I said, poets, uh, writers, painters, just all these different artists who kind of came together and really just loved Wagner. They just really did worship him um, for who he was, his art. Um, he, so he definitely had a huge influence over art during this time period and not just music, but art in general during this time period, which I think is like easy to say, of course. And so there was actually a, what is it called? Um, a periodical. Um, called the Review, R-E-V-U-E, -E, I believe is what it was called, where these artists would write pieces and what that were basically glorification of Wagner, that style, that, it, it, think about that. Think of someone, I just was like, I'm going to start a periodical about Anthony. And every week you're going to get poems and writings and essays about his his artistry, as he deserves, <laughs> his artistry and his works, who he is as a person. So this this is not, this is a very, this is a, a traditional fan club. You know, th this is a huge, like these are uh, not, not Swifters, not Selenators, but Wagnerites. These are really Wagnerites. Like the, the literally 1800 version of the beehive, honestly. Yes, exactly, <laughs> the beehive. Exactly. And so I have a question yes. for people who don't know what the beehive is. What is the beehive? Are you serious? You know, I'm an old soul. Michael, are you asking for yourself? Yes. Like, yes. We pause. Emergency meeting. Emergency meeting. He has um, lived with me for two years. Am I being sus right now? <laughs> You are being sus. There's a new, oh, so, sorry for anyone who doesn't get these pop culture references. There's a new game called Among Us. It's sweeping the nation, all the, the tweens and Gen Zs. It'll be on in 10 days. But all of my kids play it on, like, at school, and I'm like, oh my gosh, get out of here. Um, so what is the beehive for people who don't know? It's a collection of all of us who worship Beyonce. Thank you. The beehive. Oh! Oh, that's what it's called. Everyone knows this. Literally. No, not everybody. No, I will, in fact, tell you not everybody. Okay, well, I want you to, let's start a poll. Who knows what the beehive is? Because you know what? Wagner. Had you know how many people are going to lie on that? <laughs> don't lie. I, I, don't, I don't think people would lie because I'm pretty sure people know what the beehive is. It is um, just like what is this? What is Taylor Swift's group? Swifters? What are they? Swift, the Swifters and Selena Gomez. Or Selena Gomez is like Selena Nader or Se Selena Never Nader, heard of any of believers, these. Believers. Believers. Oh, I know the believers. 
and uh, Rihanna's like okay. the, the Michael, you're showing your true colors right now. Yeah. Like you really are showing your true colors. That was like middle school. I was a believer. I grew out of it. But no, I've never heard of the beehives. Yes, you have. Michael's like the old dad of our group. The thing is, I've with me two years. He's literally heard me talk about the evolution of Beyonce. He just called me about doing a project on Beyonce. You didn't do your research, did you? Uh, I don't see no scholarly articles about the beehives. <laughs> well, I'm just saying for people who don't know, so now I can equate. You know, you have to explain stuff to me in like musical terms. So Wagnerites is the Beehive. Okay, I got it. But people know who the Beehive is. I mean, no, we have been standing strong for the past twenty-three years. So yes, all of this to say, <laughs> all of that to say. Um, that basically Wagner now has a very huge fan club within France um, that kind of do his, his bidding for him, you know, and they're very passionate because they're artists. And they're all about going back to decadence. They are all about this new age of just, just expressionism and indulgence and just completely giving in to what you desire. Um, whereas traditionalists, that's not, that's not their thing at all. They, they have a way of doing things and that's kind of what they want to stick to. And so that's kind of where, that's kind of the last half of that, that chapter is really talking about um, his involvement or not his involvement with, with the review, but his followers and their, um, how they worshiped him and all these things. And so. Can I quickly just show this picture? about someone drew about Wagner because I would not like this to be painted about me. Y'all see that? He looked like a square head. That's an ugly picture. He looked like a square head. What? Who, who looked like that? People, no one looked like that. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Spotify or Apple Music, please go to our YouTube. Please subscribe and leave us a comment because we love hearing that. But no one, I, if someone painted a picture of me of that, I would politely, very politely give it back to them and be like, hey, I, I, I love you, but could you square up my face? Like, give me some cheekbones, give me some, not just square. Oh, fan mail. I mean, it, it's their interpretation, okay? So let them be artists and let them do what Here, For anyone who wants to know, this is what he actually, like an actual portrait. I have a kid who, if I would have showed, <laughs> showed this picture, he would have immediately you know, said something about his That looks like, that looks more like Mozart. Than, than Wagner in that picture. All I know is it's like a six head. Yeah, I'm telling you. With like, with like the Terminator bad. jaw. It's bad. Um, but again, that, that goes back to the group. I'm pretty sure Beyonce have received a lot of fan mail of her self painted by whoever that it doesn't even, I mean, look at, go Google Beyonce, Madame Tussauds. That looks nothing like Beyonce. Nothing at all. So this picture, oh, you're looking up right now, Michael, aren't you? I can see it. I just see it written all over your face. Um, Who's the artist? By who? Beyonce, by who? Who's the artist? Oh, Madame Tussauds. Okay. So, but again, like this is fan mail. So people are sending all these things. Honestly, Wagner was probably... The, the Michael Jackson of the day, truly, because he was that popular. They have a, a whole periodical, which is really just a, a, a modern day Tumblr page full of, if Tumblr, Tumblr's not even a thing anymore, really. Um, but it's just a, a modern day type of thing where I'm just gonna send all of my things. I'm gonna write poetry, art, uh, a song about you, how much I love you. He was really subject to all of that. And uh, with the indulgence, that's just the way of the, the late 1800s of people just expressing themselves, literally putting everything on the page, not leaving out one single ounce of that entire sheet unfilled. And the same thing with Wagner's music. There is no downtime. 
there is always something happening and it's always lush. It is never thin at all. And that's just how he wrote things. And I think this kind of ties up what this chapter really is about. I mean, to name a tra chapter Tristan Court, and anyone who would read this book is me like, all right, we know what this is going to be about, you know, because we've heard it. Like you, at this point of our, where we are in our lives, in our education, you've definitely heard of the Tristan Court. You would have definitely heard of, or Tristan and Isolde, Wagner, you definitely have heard of Wagner. Um, and so, and Wagner honestly was lucky to have had this fan base while he was alive. That's like, and going back to what we were thinking, I don't think people like Bach had a following. Maybe he had a following, but not like a, uh, not like a, a fan club like this. <laughs> and so, you know, I guess it kind of shows the magnitude of his works and the effect that it has, the influence that it still has on literature. And the fact that people say nothing else will be written the way you know, and no, no other chord will be analyzed or no opening of anything will ever be talked about more than this in 2020, right? So, you know, we, we already predicted this. We're going to be going throughout this book, going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Um, and this chapter wasn't really about the bad, you know, this is more about really analyzing the music and the, the, the effect, how amazing the music in itself was um but also the climate that it was you know made in and produced in and um performed in but yeah it was a very it was a lengthy and very interesting chapter i believe for all of us and like i said we always say when we do this support this man he's amazing he is amazing these books are just so educational beneficial they your mind I, I feel like my brain is working 10 times harder than it normally does when i'm reading this his stuff like seriously alex ross if you're out there if you're listening to this thank you so much um this is great it's great stuff so seriously like if you when we talk about this we're not like reading where obviously if you want us to actually read and go through this asmr we are talking about doing this um but this is not what this is. It's us, you know, trying to just discussing and going back and forth with each other. But leave us comments. Let us know what you think about it. Jump into our conversations. Like, give us, like, an idea of what you're thinking when we're going through this. Because we absolutely want to know. Absolutely want to know. I mean, if we, like, of course, I think we mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again. If we're reading through it, or you're reading the book with us, or ahead of us, because, you know, I, I think if we kind of establish something, we do it every other week. And then we have a music hop topic in between. If you want to give like, if we're about, we're about to read chapter three, if you want to give us like, hey, I really am interested about this section and what y'all think, please let us know and we will make sure to spend time to talk about that. I think um, Junior's comment, we're going to mention it in a couple of our upcoming uh, just music episodes. We love hearing from people and I think we're going to release a couple of polls coming soon. Because the more y'all give us, the more we want to give back. And we absolutely feed off of that. We're always ready to engage in a conversation. I mean, we are just starting. But again, like I said earlier, the amount of love that we have been receiving from this has been amazing. We are all fulfilled um, because this has become a family now. Um, we love every single one of you who is watching or listening, um, who is liking, subscribing, go share us, tell a friend. Um, please do because we are, we are definitely, definitely so ready for y'all to be a part of this. And just, it's a big family. We each other as family, so come be a part of our family. We would love, love, love that. So, um, anything else, Michael? I think we have something. To close this um, episode, we're going to start a new segment, a little bit, a little thing. Me and Anthony will debate on who came up with it. You know, we, we well, me, he says him, you know, born Switzerland. So anyways, I want to ask Anthony and Lauren, and y'all, if y'all want to comment on this, please do and give me more music to listen to. What have you most recently listened to or what has been on your phone this week? Starting with Lauren. So actually, I had just done, uh, did a Target run. 
I've been watching a show on Netflix called Rain, R-E-I-G-N. And it's kind of talking about like the 1500s and like Mary Queen of Scots and like her marriage with like the the new the King of France and all that stuff. Anyway, so there's a segment where she's like riding on a horse and it's all cute and dramatic. And the song "Wasting My Young Years" by London Grammar um, came on. And it's just so like a if you know Lana Del Rey and like that vibe. That's a very yes, exactly, exactly. That's like a vibe that it was kind of giving me, and so I was like, I'm gonna. This is a bop, you know. Like this is a good bop. This is a good driving song. So this is what the album cover looks like and everything. It's very like express impressionistic and all that. It's really cool. So go check it out. Wasting my young years. London Grammar. So currently, I am listening to. Um, one of my new favorite artists, his name is Duran Bernard. Um, he just released an album, self-titled album. Um, he is a phenomenal singer. Um, and one of my favorite songs from that album is called Volume featuring Kate Renata. Um, so for those who like love R&B, who love that really type of soul, this album is what you need. Um, fun, fun thing about Duran, he uh, started singing backup uh, for Erica Badu, which we, I love me some Erica Badu. Um, he is sang with literally everyone, just the runs, the, the melismas, everything is just amazing. Um, so please go check out that album, go listen to volume. He has a song with Ari Lennox. It is phenomenal. So please go check that one out. And then this week, so I have the, I, I use Spotify, not a big Apple music person, um, because Spotify, you can also get Hulu if you're a student. So check, peep that out. Um, I was, I have this thing that's like rotating and like giving me new things. And what came up this week was our version of events. That's the album title by Amelia Sandy. Did I pronounce that right, Anthony? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then my favorite song of it is Where I Sleep. I think I actually heard it on a TV show. I want to say probably Grey's Anatomy because, you know, I'll be watching Grey's Anatomy a lot. And I just went, I went and found it, listened to the whole album. It's my biggest thing when I listen to albums is I need to be able to go from the beginning to the end and everything makes sense and it flows into each other. If it doesn't, then the album really doesn't make sense to me. And that's just a personal thing. I look at albums like a lot of people look at like Ricard Strauss's tone poems you know what i mean so but that's my thing i'm definitely gonna listen to what they suggested because i'm a huge fan of lana del rey went to a concert love it she sounds the exact same live so don't even come at me with that uh she does i have videos <laughs> not not really because that's not legal just putting out i really don't have videos um, but yeah, so later on, I think we're going to actually do a, an episode about like, you know, pop culture, like music and like albums is specifically like the flow and everything. When we do, let us know, give us some suggestions, like say, hey, have you listened to this album? Have you listened to this one? We'd love to talk about it. If we haven't, maybe we'll listen to it beforehand. Why not? That'd be cool. Um, but other than that, uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed um, our continuation of Wagnerism and stay safe. Remember to vote, and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.